Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm just going to slide this out. We normally have like a, a bit of a lighter one, but for some reason we've got the big heavy one today. Um, not sure if you were here last week. Um, I really uh, loved the sermon last week. It was a standalone sermon about the river of God. You can listen to it uh, online if you want to catch up. Today we're going to have another standalone sermon, and then we're going to start a, a new series next week. So we're just going to look at one verse today. Just the one verse in John's Gospel. Let me read it out for us. If you've got a Bible with you, it's uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. If you don't have one or you'd rather look on the screen, it should come up there behind me. So let me read it for us. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me just quickly pray. Father, thank you so much for your mighty words to us, these precious words. I just pray, Lord, that you'd help me as I try and teach these words. And I pray that you'd help us all gathered here to listen with humble and expectant hearts that you'll speak to us again through these words. Amen. I am the light of the world. You might have heard these words, I don't know, thousands of times before, hundreds maybe. And because you've heard them so many times before, they've sort of like lost their sort of original shock factor or the punch that they used to have. Maybe you've never heard these words before, or maybe if you have heard them, it was at like a Christmas carol service or something like that. And because you had a few mulled wines and a few mince pies, maybe you forgot what was said about these words. Whether you've heard them thousands of times before, or if this is the first time you ever come to them today, I want to just challenge us all to come to these words afresh and ask, what is Jesus really saying here? Let's dig down and ask, what does he mean? So the first thing that we'll see about this is that it's a claim. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And in John's gospel, Jesus makes seven of these big claims. They're known as the I am sayings. And what they are is metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself. So they should come up behind me. There's seven of them all in all. Let me read them out to you. So Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And then lastly, he says, I am the true vine. Now, to understand these metaphors, we need to realise that Jesus was always talking to real people with a real backstory. He was invariably speaking to fellow Jews, and they knew the history of their ancestors inside out. They knew all the things that had come before them. So in order to understand these I am sayings, you have to understand the backstory. It's a bit like trying to watch one episode of like a, a legendary TV series without watching all the other episodes that lead up to it before that. If you just watch the one episode, you haven't got a clue what it's about. So what is the backstory for this claim here? Well, the immediate context in terms of when Jesus said this, where he said it, and who he said it to gives us a bit of a clue. Let me read you what it says here in John chapter 7, 14 and 15, he says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews there, therefore marveled, saying, 
How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So just see that. It tells us when Jesus said it, the middle of the feast. It tells us where Jesus said it in the temple. And it tells us who he's speaking to, the Jews. So what was this feast that they're in the middle of? Well, John tells us in, in uh, chapter two of, um, sorry, in chapter seven, verse two, he says, it was the feast of booths. It's a bit of a strange thing. What's, what is the feast of booths? Well, it was this yearly celebration that the Jewish people would observe where they would remember the way God led their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt and then for 40 years led them through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And they would have various sort of reenactments that would remind them of what life was like in the wilderness years. So for example, they would move out of their homes into the back garden and they would live in like temporary structures which would remind them of the tents that the people would stay in in the wilderness. There should be a picture coming up here now. This is a picture of modern, the modern day version of the celebration because the Jews still um, do it today. A friend of mine told me last night it's called Sukkot. So they still do this. Move out of their houses, live in these temporary structures. What else did they do? Well, they had this ceremony where they would draw water out of a special pool in the city. And it was reminding them of a time when in the wilderness, the people were dying of thirst. And so God split this boulder in two and created like a brand new spring of fresh water for the people to drink from. Another feature of the feast was that as the sun was setting each night, and as it was starting to get dark, these two massive, huge lamps in the temple would light up and they'd shed their light into the temple. And because the temple was up high on, the sort of, on a bit of a hill in the city, it wouldn't just light up the temple, but it would kind of shed the light down into the streets so that the people could carry on partying all the way through the night. So they'd party through the day and through the night for seven days. Sounds like a pretty solid party to me. So what do these lamps represent? Well, like the, like the um, temporary structures, like the water, it was, again, like a symbol of a reality of the life in the wilderness. Because these people had no idea where they were going. And it was obviously dark at night. So how did God lead them? How do you show them the way to go? Well, if you read Exodus, you'll see that God lit up the sky in this huge like, column of fire. Exodus calls it the pillar of fire. It was like a sort of huge kind of tube of fire. It sounds you know, pretty epic. Like, imagine being there. You're in the dark, you're in the wilderness, you've got no idea where you're going. And this huge tube of fire sort of leads you through the wilderness. Sounds pretty, pretty crazy, right? That's what it says. And when the fire moved, the people would kind of pack up their stuff, put it on their back, and off they'd go following this fire. And then when the fire stopped, they'd get their stuff out, they'd pitch their tents, and then they'd stay and they'd wait until the fire would move on again, at which point they'd pack up and away they go again. Now, why is this significant? Well, remember where Jesus is when he says this claim. He's in the temple. And more specifically, John tells us in 8.20, he says that he's in the treasury of the temple, which was in the sort of outer court of the, the temple, right? And he's underneath these two giant lamps. So picture the scene. The Jews are there. They're celebrating this festival with all its ancient meaning. They're underneath these giant lamps. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He drops a, a huge bombshell on them. He's basically saying, here you are, 
with your celebration, you're looking back hundreds of years ago to this time in the wilderness, to this time when God's presence was very much in the midst of the people. He was, he was guiding them through the wilderness. But what you don't realize is God's standing here right in front of you right now. Can you see how shocking this was? This is, this is a, a massive, huge claim to make. Here they were, they're celebrating this tradition that they would have kept since they were you know, little children. And Jesus challenging that tradition and saying, look, I am God's presence. You're looking right at him now. He's saying, look, you know, I'm challenging every idea you have about God. You're looking back, but God's, God's here right in your midst. You'll see that this doesn't really fit with the picture of Jesus as a wise moral teacher. These aren't wise moral words. Jesus saying, I am God. This was a really shocking thing, even a really offensive thing. And there was no wonder really that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus after he said these words. They started a plot to kill this guy. These aren't little, nice, easy words. These are, these are huge, massive words. So Jesus has dropped the bomb on the people. He's just challenged their entire tradition. He's just you know, effectively you know, um, insulted or shocked this entire crowd. Does he leave it there? Well, no. After he makes the claim, he follows it up with a promise. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Let's pick up a few things about what Jesus is saying here. Firstly, he says, whoever. So think about the pillar of fire, right? It was for a particular people in a particular time in a particular place. But now Jesus is saying, look, in me, I'm throwing this out to everyone in the whole world. I'm throwing this out to anyone. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then this phrase, walk in darkness. What does this mean? Well, the original language that we translate into English, the word for walk actually literally means walking around in circles. And the word darkness is a sort of a, a picture of a spiritual reality which refers to a life without God. So an inability to know God, which leads to every kind of sin and a deep sense of sorrow and despair. Can you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, if you don't have me, it's the equivalent of walking around in circles, blindly searching for meaning, unable to know God, stuck in cycles of sin with a deep sense of sorrow and despair. Now, this is the biblical perspective of a life without Jesus. This is what the Bible says about darkness. And the ultimate, sort of, the, the, the ultimate consequence of walking in darkness, the Bible says, is death. It says it in Romans 6.23 so clearly. Not only physical death, but spiritual death as well. As we face a conscious eternity without God. I wonder if you know something of this. Can you resonate with Jesus' picture of darkness that you're sort of you know, scrabbling around in the darkness looking for meaning, looking for truth, but always coming up short? Do you resonate with that feeling of being stuck in a cycle of sinful behavior that you wish you could get out of, but you just you can't? You can kind of feel the darkness like in your heart, eating away at your character, eroding your integrity, but you just can't seem to break out of it. Do you resonate with this 
this kind of ground note of sorrow and despair, which no matter how hard you try and cover up, no matter what you put in your life to try and mask it, no matter how hard you try and run away from it, always seems to catch you up in the end. Or maybe not. Maybe you'd say, actually, I, I don't think that at all. I've, I've got vision for my life. I've, I've got purpose. I know where I'm going. You know, I'm accomplished. I'm successful. I'm living a good life. I'm a good person. I don't have a sense of sorrow and despair. Actually, most of the time, my life's good. I enjoy life. I'm, I'm happy. But Jesus would look you in the eye and he'd very gently say, you're still in darkness. Just like a blind man, leisurely going for a stroll, thinking everything's okay, and walking step by step towards a cliff. That's what Jesus is saying this is like. You can have everything sorted on the surface. Everything can look okay. But if you look at the spiritual reality, you're in grave danger. Isn't this a little bit depressing and dark? Isn't this all a little bit much on a, on a Sunday morning? Well, you've got to get a sober understanding of the darkness before Jesus' promise of light is, is attractive. If you're, imagine you're stuck in a dark cave, no chance of, of escape, and then suddenly a hole appears in the wall and the light starts bursting in. That, that's an attractive proposition. You need to understand the darkness of your situation without Jesus before the light becomes an attractive option. And Jesus says, look, if you follow me, I will lead you out of darkness. I'll lead you into light. I'll lead you out of an inability to know God and I'll bring you into a, a knowledge of God. You'll know him perfectly and truly. I'll lead you out of these cycles of, of sinful behavior. I'll help you to break that, that power. I'll help you to live a life a fruitful, you know, joyful life which blesses other people, blesses God. I'll bring you out of this, this, this sorrow and despair that you can't seem to get away from. I'll bring you into life in all its fullness. I'll give you real, true, meaningful joy. And ultimately, I'll bring you out of death. I'll bring you out of death into life. Life now and life eternal in heaven. Now, the big question at this point is to ask how. How, does Je how can Jesus fulfill this promise? How can he bring us out of darkness into light? How is he able to make this promise? Well, he's able to make this promise because on the cross, Jesus faced the darkness for us. We read in Luke's gospel that as Jesus' body was twisted and broken and nailed onto that horrible piece of wood, the sky went pitch dark and it was midday, 12 noon. The sky went pitch dark. Jesus knew what it was to be cut off from God, unable to know him. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what it was to not have God. He was cut off so that we could be brought into right relationship with God. On the cross, he paid the penalty of all of our sin against God and against those around us. He paid that price so that we could go free. On the cross, Jesus knew ultimate sorrow and despair so that we could be comforted. And after the cross, three days later, Jesus rose again. He rose to new life. 
And he showed us that he has ultimately defeated death, that he can bring us into life. So the question is, will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus? The word follows here in John is the same word that is used elsewhere when the disciples follow Jesus and give their entire lives to him. You see, it's not just like coming to Jesus as the sort of the cherry on top of the cake or like the sort of the final like missing piece in a puzzle. Coming to Jesus is a huge investment. It means giving your entirety to him. Doesn't he deserve it? Doesn't he deserve our entirety, our everything? Becoming a Christian's not easy in that sense. It, beca- it, it involves giving everything up. But we're giving it to someone who can, who can deliver, who can bring us out of darkness and into light. So we've looked at Jesus' claim. We've looked at what it meant to the original hearers. We've talked about, in general terms, what it, what it looks like for us. Now I want to look at practically what does it look like for us. So it's kind of like a big uh, lofty truth, but like day to day, as you, when you go to work tomorrow morning or where, when you, you know, t- pick up your week wherever you are, whatever you do, what's it look like to follow Jesus? See, the people who were standing there with Jesus, it was quite easy for them. They had a physical Jesus. They could, they could, if they wanted to, they could go up and touch him. They could, you know, they could hear his words. So when he says, follow me, it's kind of simple for them. Just go around with him. <laughs> Just walk along with him, follow him. It's, it's that simple. But what does it look like for us? How can we follow Jesus? Well, the answer is that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his very presence. It's, kind of, it's a strange thing, but having the Holy Spirit means that I can stand here in, in London and say, Jesus is right here with me right now. And someone in Australia can say at exactly, the exact same moment, Jesus is right here with me. So having the Spirit means that we can know this, this intimate presence of Jesus all the time. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So what does that mean then? Well, we have to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not like a, you know, like a liquid or a gas or some sort of weird like inanimate object. He's a person. So cultivate a relationship with him. And the Bible says that the Spirit's a very gentle, quiet Spirit. It's like the Bible talks about him like a dove. So he's not going to shout loudly over the top of the noise of your life. And, and bear in mind here, there's a lot of things that will shout for your attention in this world. There'll, there'll be a lot of things that say, follow me. I'll bring you happiness. I'll bring you fulfillment. There are a lot of things like that out there. The Spirit's not going to yell and shout over those things. So we have to really listen. We have to really attune our ears. We have to really open ourselves up to what he might be saying to us day, day in, day out. What's it look like to, to, to hear these words? Well, I guess you could, you know, you could fill another half an hour um, talking about this. But in a nutshell, if you feel like an inner compulsion to do something which is in line with God's word, then that's probably the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you get a sense of like, you know, this is a, this is a good thing, this is what you know, God wills for my life, then go for it. That's, that's probably God speaking by his Holy Spirit. Obviously, reading God's word as well, like the Spirit speaks when we read his words. So get, get, you know, get your Bible out. Spend time daily reading. That's another great way that, that God speaks. He doesn't speak you know, in a vacuum. He speaks often through his, his very word, the Bible. 
Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of when we, were, when we willingly walk in darkness. Like, I don't know if you, if you know this, but for me, there's times where I kind of want darkness. Like, I know that it doesn't lead anywhere good. I kind of know all that, but I actually want it. Like, I want what's in the dark. I want to be, you know, kept hidden. I, wa- I want my sort of secret sins to, like, remain secret. The Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on these things. And here's the thing. He's not going to convict and, and, and sort of batter us with it. He's not going to say, you're terrible. Try harder. Like, why are you, like, why are you such a bad Christian? That's not how the Spirit does it. The glory of the gospel is that the Spirit can say, Jesus defeated the darkness for you. He's broken the power over you. You know, you don't have to go back to darkness. You don't have to walk in these ways. I've given you the power to walk out of these things. And I tell you what, the more you do that, the more you like walk in the light of, of knowing Jesus, the more it becomes ridiculous, really, to go back to the darkness. Do you know that if you're a Christian here? You kind of know like how good it is to know Jesus. Like it's life in all its fullness. We know how good it is. And the more we kind of enjoy and live that life, the more we think, darkness? Why would I want to go back to that? That's ridiculous. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a horrendous idea. So the Spirit really wants to do that work in our lives. And you'll know what, what the darkness looks like for you. Maybe speak to your running partners about that, like the people that you meet up with during the week. Ask them or speak to them, yeah, this is a really difficult thing that I, str- I really struggle with. I, f- I feel the darkness sort of sucking me in. And they can get around you and encourage you with the gospel. They can say, look, Jesus led you out of that. And isn't it so much better when you live with him? Why would you want to go back to those things? And lastly, what's it look like together? I've, that, I've kind of looked a little bit about what it looks like individually to follow Jesus. But what's it look like collectively? We think so individually, don't we, in the West? But, but you know, there's a lot of um, things we can learn about how as a church, as a people, as a family, we can follow Jesus as well. First thing was, if you look back to what it was like in the wilderness, when, when God went, the people had to go. It was like a no-brainer. You, you know, if, if the fire moved on, you can't just sort of keep faffing around in your tents and making a bit of breakfast and having a little chat. No, no, the fire's gone. Come on, let's go. Let's, let's pick up and go. God was on the move. As a church, we need to know when God's on the move. And we need to get up. No, no dawdling. Let's get up and follow him. We've got some really great examples of this, haven't we? Think of the, the Tarries who went over to Frankfurt to, to plant a church, started a new life over there. They followed God. That's a great example of going when God goes. They saw, they saw God go, and they were like, we're not waiting around here, come on, let's go. I wonder, like, in the wilderness, whether the, it was kind of like they were getting a little bit comfortable, maybe, at times. They sort of, like, sat in the tents and, I don't know, like, playing cards or whatever you, they would be doing to pass the time. And the fire moves on, they were like, oh, really? Really? Just made, like, an amazing meal, or oh, just in the middle of this great game of cards. Oh, come on, really? Do we, do we really have to go? But like, isn't that so true of how we can get? We can get so comfortable, can't we? We can sort of settle down, get so used to like life, and we're just like, oh God, really? Oh, are, we, are you really asking me to do that? But we can't get complacent as a church, can we? I mean, I say this tentatively. I'm, you know, I'm not one of the elders or one of the leaders of this church, but I've kind of run it past them, and they're happy for me to say these things. We need to not grow comfortable. We need to, like, when God goes, you know, we need to go as well. But there were also times where the opposite was true, where maybe the people were 
looking around going, this is like a really scary place. I'm in the wilderness. There's probably like wild animals running around. I'm, I'm really scared here. Why isn't Jesus moving us on? Why are we staying in this place? Why are we, you know, I don't want to be here. And again, that can be really similar, can't it? We, sometimes we really want to go. We might find it you know, really difficult where we are. Maybe London, like, it's just tricky. Like, I remember when me and my wife, Debs, first moved to London, I hated it. For like two years, I really, really wanted to leave. I wanted to go back to Yorkshire, back to, you know, back up to like the homelands, back to, back to my old friends. But look, like over time, God's done a, a really great work in me. And he's gone, no, no, I want you to stay. Don't run away. Like, don't, don't run back to the comfort and security. Like, I've got something for you here. So if you're going to stay, then stay well. Build relationships, build really good lasting friendships. Serve the church, like use your gifts. Like everyone here has got a gift that they can use to serve the church. You might think, oh, I might be gone in a year or two, but, but serve the church, you know, get, get involved, use, use your gifts. Make, you know, make an impact on the people around you. Share the gospel with your neighbours. Share the gospel with your colleagues and your family and friends. Like share Jesus. A friend of mine once said that we are to live like we're going to be where we're going to be for 20 years, but then have our bags packed by the door. I think that's a really, really good picture of what it looks like to stay well. Think like you're going to live here for 20 years, but have your bags packed by the door. So when God stays, let's stay well. And the last one that I want to draw out in terms of what it looks like to follow Jesus together is we are the light of the world. Let me read you this verse. It should come up behind me. It's in the Sermon of the Mount when Jesus is speaking to these peop- the, the people gathered. And he says this. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it, give lights, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A city on a hill. It's a lovely picture that, isn't it? A city up high on a hill so when the lights go on, everyone can, can see this city. As a church, we should be leading the way in serving the poor. We should be leading the way in you know, speaking out for justice for the oppressed. We should be so hospitable, opening our homes, welcoming people in. We should have great parties, right? Like Jesus has drawn us into life in all its fullness. Like we should be enjoying life more than anyone else. Yeah, we, sh- we should be loving life. And when, when we're living this kind of life, when we're really a city on a hill, when we're following Jesus' example, then people look in and go, I really want what you've got. What is it that makes this community like this? How are you serving the poor with like, such generosity? How are you welcoming people in? You're, you're so generous with your possessions. You seem to like, have a good time, even though you're not maybe getting drunk or whatever, but you're yeah, having a great time. Yeah, like, point to Jesus. Like, when, people, when people say, like, what is it that you've got? Such a great opportunity, isn't it? Po- just point to him. Point, to the, point people to the light. Just say, it's because I know Jesus. It's because I have a relationship with the God of the universe. He's come into my life. He's, he's brought me out of darkness into light. He's given me life in all its fullness. It's, it's, a, it's incredible. It's not always easy, but wow, this is, this is real life. Point people to Jesus.
So let me just sort of draw it together then. So we've looked at, looked at Jesus' claim. We've looked at what it means. He is the light of the whole world. We've looked at what it looks like. We've kind of applied it a little bit and we've thought about what it looks like for us individually and as a church. So as I finish, maybe you're here today and you think, do you know what? This is like a really significant time. Like maybe this is like the first time that you say, do you know what? I, I really want to follow Jesus. You really want to you know, step out and make that first step in, in following him. Or maybe you're not quite there yet, but it's maybe piqued your interest a little bit. You're like, wow, I've never really heard. You know, I've never really heard the meaning of these words. I, I want to hear a bit more. If either of those things may be a true for you, then why not speak to someone that you know who's brought you along, someone that you trust? Or, I mean, after the service, I'm more than happy to sort of stick around and chat to you if you want to come and speak to me about it. And if we're Christians here, then I just really want us to like heed that, that call to really follow him, um, to go when he goes, to stay well when he stays, and to shine out as the light of the world. Why not pray for us as we finish? I'll maybe invite the band back up and Luke can come up as well. Let me pray. God, thank you for these amazing words. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you that you're the only one that can lead us out of darkness into light. We thank you for all that that means for us, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to be your disciples. Help us to shine brightly like a city on a hill. Uh, and draw people into this wonderful reality uh, of following you. Pray that you guide our time now, Lord, and that you do a, a work in each of us individually. Thank you that you call us into family, but you also deal with us individually as well. Thank you, Lord. So I just pray that you would do your work now as we continue our time together. In your precious name, amen.